It was Jacob. I think you know who he is. Swindler Jacob, deceiver Jacob, liar, cheater, birthright for breakfast, blessing for dinner Jacob. Jacob on the lamb, Jacob on the run from his older brother Esau. He's on his way to Haran, and the Bible tells us that he stops at a certain place. Now, Jacob didn't know it was a certain place. He didn't know that this was a divine appointment. He didn't understand that when his father had sent him off to find a wife that he was on divine assignment. But the Bible says that he stopped at a certain place. He didn't know that it was a certain place, but he did know that he was weary and he knew that the sun had set and this was as far as he was going tonight. So he took one of the stones and he set it for a pillow and he lays down to sleep. There's always a time that your someplace becomes a certain place. And as Jacob dreams, he sees a stairway reach from earth to the sky. And the Bible tells us that angels ascended and descended up and down that ladder. The connection between heaven and earth became real to him. And the Bible then goes on to say that God stood before him and he began to relay the promise that he had given to his father Abraham, to his father Isaac. And now Jacob is receiving the same promise. The land where he is laying is no longer a foreign land. The Bible tells us that God told him, this will now become your land. Your land. The Bible goes on to say that God began to lay out precious promises to Jacob. That certain place became more and more real to him. It was no longer just a sleeping place, but it became a certain place. And, and I just believe today that God has brought someone into this place so that it could become a certain place. This is not just another room where we're having a few technical difficulties tonight, but this is a certain place for somebody to realize that God has come to visit with us, that God has come to interact with us, that God has come to talk to us, to commission us, to help us, to embrace us. The Spirit of the Lord has been at work in this room today, and it's no longer just another address on Google Maps. This has become a certain place. This has become a certain place, and the Bible says that Jacob woke out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and he said, how dreadful is this place? We're talking a lot about places tonight. This place is a place where the Spirit of the Lord is, but I, I felt him moving already. I, I looked around as we began to sing, and I watched as God began to bring the realization into individuals' lives that this is a place where the glory of God has come already today, where the Lord has come to meet with us, where the Spirit of the Lord is here to sup with us. Some of us have received the strength that we've been looking for all week long in this certain place. But I wonder today, have we uh, come in the room like Jacob pillowed his head that night? He didn't know that the Lord was here. He didn't understand that the Lord was at work. He didn't know. And then when he finally awoke, he had to declare. It escaped his lips before he thought about it. You know what I'm talking about? that moment when you first wake up and you're still half asleep and you think you're still in the dream that you were in your legs are kicking your arms are flailing is that just me 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you come out of the dream and you're still kind of there? And you're doing the math. Where am I right now? Where, where, where was I? Where am I? And where am I going? What's happening right now? I, you, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm not a very good rememberer of dreams. I get the biggest kick out of our, our family. I remember when the kids were younger, we'd be around the breakfast table and everybody would be talking about their dreams. And for me, it's just a... Just a doll, whatever. I slept. I don't know what you all were doing, working through your dream. Or, you know, I think the last dream that I can remember was I, I did dream about the, 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 the screens that were installing in the new sanctuary. I dreamt about that one night, and I was telling the guys and for a signature sound, he said, well, we must, must be working it too hard. I said, no, it's just like how do, we're trying to wrap our brain around uh, pixels and lumens and, and resolution and distance and throws and short zoom lenses. And by the time you leave at night and you've been looking at the, the wall, you're thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And that still resonates. You know what I'm talking about? And you ever started a new job and you end up working all night long and you wake up tired, more tired than you were when you went to sleep? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about dreams. Talking about that. My family, they can remember dreams, specific details, conversations. They can remember where they were, who was with them. And for me, it's just kind of... By the time I wake up, I, I can get out of that mentality pretty quick but Jacob when he woke out of his sleep the Bible says he said surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not I went to bed with the wrong reality I went to bed in the wrong place I I thought I was just here uh, on a visit I thought I was just here as a tourist I I didn't realize that this was divine destination I didn't realize that God was going to transform this trip into my future this is where I'm supposed to be this is what I'm supposed to be I believe that God could bring that reality to somebody today that you realize by the time that we leave this room that God has you on divine Divine assignment today. Divine assignment. It's none other than the house of God, this place. He said, God was in this place. How dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God. He calls it Bethel, the house of God. And we've preached about those things. We've preached about the stone that becomes a pillow, that becomes a pillar of promise, and and how Jacob pours oil over it, and it becomes Bethel, the house of God. We've preached a number of times about the story. We've talked about it, the promise of God. The land is yours, your offspring, it's yours, Jacob. We've preached about how his destination became his domicile. His trip becomes a place of transformation. We, we preach about the stone that becomes the altar. We've preached about it. We've, I've preached about it. We've preached about it a number of times. And, and every time I can tell you that I've stepped over or slipped over this one fact that I did just a moment ago. And many of you didn't even realize Because Jacob talked about the place that he was in. He said, the Lord was in this place. He said, how dreadful is this place? And this is none other than the house of God and Bethel. But then he goes on and he makes a simple statement. He said, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. We need a revelation about a few things tonight. We've got to, number one, understand that this is the house of God. We're doing everything we can to make it relevant and make it slick. You know, the young people, I try and tell them sometimes, this is far nicer than the church we had the entire time I was growing up. This is a beautiful chapel. This is a beautiful sanctuary for most people. It's wonderful. 
We need an understanding that this is more than just brick and mortar, that it's more than just sheetrock and, and beautiful uh, work of craftsmanship. It's more than all that. Let me tell you what it is. It's the house of God. This is the house of God. This is more than just a destination. This is divine appointment. This is a place where God meets with us. What happens is more than just music and melody and lyrics and, and, and uh, harmony that happens. It's more than all that. This is the house of God. This is a place where God meets with us. This place was a sanctuary. It was dedicated for God's glory. This is where God meets with us. This is a house of God. That's what this room is. When Troy McAllister was with us for Christmas, we, we came through and I was showing him this, this chapel. I was showing him the work that, that, that's been done. And, and he, he walked over somewhere right about here and he said, you know, I remember being here when I was just a child. I remember being here in service and, and being in church in that time. And, and it was more than just a room. It was more than just a location. It was the house of God. It was an unforgettable place because God does some unforgettable things in unforgettable places. And too often, I think maybe we just kind of sidestep that this is just another location on our maps. This is just another point on the GPS. It's more than all of that. This is a house of God. We need a revelation that this is a house of God. This is Bethel. But more than that, we need a revelation that this is the gateway of heaven. You see, the, the understanding that came along with the picture of that ladder that went up and down was that not only could our needs rise to a king that would hear us, but the answer could come down to the people that need the word of the king. That, that could happen in that place. And, and so Jacob understood that God was in that place. Surely God was in this place. It's an awesome place. It's a, the Bible says, a dreadful place. It's an incredible place. It's, it's that place where the glory of, the God, of God met with him. But it was more than that. He said it's the gateway of heaven. Because not only do we realize and understand that, that God is in the heavens, but that God invites us to become a part of what he is and who he is. The gateway was the opportunity not just for God to come down, but that we could rise up. The gateway was the opportunity not just for the presence of God to meet with us, but that we could meet with him. That God of all of his providence could move in a way to meet with us at a certain appointed time. But the gateway of heaven meant that Jacob could and he did in the future come back to that place so that he could commune with the king of kings and the lord of lords and I just want someone to know today that God meets with us here but this isn't also a place this is a place where you can choose to meet with God <laughs> the gateway what are you going to do with the gate, there's some 98 references in the word of God to gateways, to gates, the power of gates, the, the point of gates, the reference point, the, the, the location was significant. Gates were, were places of power. Gates were places of authority. It's where men met, people met in that location. The gate was, a, was a, an opportunity for meeting. It was an opportunity for connection. It was an opportunity for authority to be executed, the gateway. So we need the house of God. We need the God of the house. We need a Bethel in our lives. We need a place of transformation just like Jacob had. There's significance to why we call this the house of God. But more than that, it's the gateway to glory. 
There's a reason why we chafe a little bit against rules that restrict our gathering. Silence. Where's he going with this? Pastor Jack, this is recorded. This is live online right now. Absolutely. We can abide by the rules, but we don't have to like them. Let me back up again. We can abide by the restrictions, but we don't have to like them. You see, we get concerned because restrictions can become wonderful excuses for people to excuse themselves from being in the presence of God, the place of God. This is the house of God. And the reason why it's so important is because more than just the house of God, this is the gateway of heaven. We need the opportunity to connect with God. We need the opportunity to connect with God's people. And that happens in places just like this. Gates and scriptures were more than just entrances and exits. You know, Kathy and I, a little while ago, we got a Kivo. Kivo is a, for all of us that don't like to lock the door behind us. It automatically locks. We, as a matter of fact, it's a bit annoying because it's just, I don't know who decided the timeline for Kivo to lock it still, but it automatically, it's got four A, A batteries and it will lock the door about 28 seconds after you open and shut the door. Just about the same amount of time that it takes you to get to the car, realize you forgot your keys and get back to the door only to hear it go. And you're reaching for the door and it's locked. No. It's only minus 30 and you're out there. The Kivo, it locks the door. You, you see the, the house, you, I, I could go into a story, but we won't, about unlocked doors and unwanted guests. There's a reason we have a Kivo. It's not a want. It's a need. You see, our house is, on the inside, there's about 10 steps to the upstairs and 10 steps to the downstairs. You come in on ground level. and Well, it's annoying to go down and lock the door all the time. But the problem is, if you don't lock the door all the time... Someone's going to show up that you don't want. I'm not talking about any of you. But we have that unwanted guest. You see, the house is only as secure as your front door. The power of a gate. It's important. Gates are powerful places. You could have a, an incredible walled city, but if the gates weren't secure, the city was insecure. The gate determines the power. The gate determines the authority. The gate can keep people out and it can keep people in. There's power in the gate. The gates, I mentioned a moment ago, they were places of government, places where men of authority sat. This is a place of interaction and decision. Business transactions and judgment was exacted in the gate. Kings would literally, you can find this in scripture, they would literally set up their thrones dressed in their royal robes and sit in the entrance of the gate. Prophetic utterance happened in the gate. Power was released in the gate. 
So there's all kinds of references. I, I mentioned I could go to 98 different points in Scripture and talk to you about gates, but if you would just let me for about the next 10 minutes talk to you about one. One other reference in Scripture about a gate. I'd like to transport us into the season in the life of David. There's trouble brewing under the surface. It's a season in David's life where he's coming to the kingdom. Everything that God has promised has come to pass, but in David's own family, one of his sons, Absalom, has had his brother Amnon murdered to avenge the rape of his sister. It's all in your Bible. It's horrible. It's rough. It's raw. And it's honest. Absalom leaves for three years, but he's brought back by King David after Joab intervenes and reminds David that the heart of the king of kings is to bring the exile back to the kingdom. And so David does. He brings Absalom back, but he doesn't meet with him face to face. And in that lack of interaction, Absalom begins to interact with the people. And we do find that David does meet with Absalom eventually. But there's a breakdown that's occurred in that time frame. I'm, I'm wanting to set the frame for multiple generations because we have that in our church family. The same way that David had it in his family. We're not a perfect family. Anybody got a perfect family? We're not a perfect family. We're not a perfect church family. And David's isn't either. And the Bible gives us a little insight about his family when we look at the life of Absalom. If you know, you know, you know enough Greek to figure out what Absalom means. Absalom, you know the word Abba, father. You know the word Salem, shalom, peace. Absalom's name, when David named him, was to be the father of peace, but Absalom is anything but. He doesn't live up to his namesake. He instead becomes the very thing that David would regret. The very individual. David loves him. He's his son, but Absalom's already murdered one of his children, and, and he's already gone about this work of trying to reconcile, but Absalom, the father of peace, goes about a work of destruction. Absalom's the talk of the town. He's a handsome lad. I'll say it like we're from over north. I thought I'd just lighten the environment a little bit tonight. Just help me here. No pictures, please. The Bible tells us that every spring... Absalom would have his head shaved and he had so much beautiful long flowing hair I want this to be unforgettable <laughs> he had so much beautiful long flowing hair the Bible tells us two pounds worth that every spring when he got his ears lowered it would fall to the floor and be collected the Bible in 2 Samuel 15 and 25 said, But in all of Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. <laughs> Absalom seemed to have it all. Absalom, I'm going to get rid of this. It's already too late. Absalom seemed to have it all going for him. He's got privilege and he's got promise, but he's also got a problem. Absalom has never paid the price. 
He was just blessed enough to be born the prince. And Absalom doesn't know that the kingdom came at a cost. It was long nights in the sheepfold warding off lions and bears that put his father David before the giant that allowed the people to see David in a different light than they had anybody anywhere before. Absalom didn't realize the price was paid because David had spent time in the presence of God. David had knelt on the grassy knoll long before he ever stood before the giant Goliath. He had paid the price for the kingdom, but now Absalom has just been born into it. He's come into the kingdom and he's taken all this blessing that's been given to him. He's, he's, he's got natural blessings, natural giftings, natural talents. The Bible tells us that he is gifted. He's, he's beautiful. He's got he's just that, that attraction, that charisma that can pull people around him. He's got that ability. But it comes at a price that he doesn't realize. You see, he wakes up every morning in a kingdom that came at a cost. Young people, I'm talking to us tonight, and I'll include myself with you. Because there's some gray hair around here that represents some battles that have been won. And impossible battlefields that were paid for before we got here. A price that was paid when long nights of dark souls happened. Where somebody lived through, not just read through, the fact that weeping may endure for a night. But joy came in the morning. And we have the privilege and the benefit of the joy that came in the morning. Even though we never worked and wept through the night season. And they didn't talk much about it. Because by the time that the joy came, they didn't want to dwell on the sorrow and the trouble that they had gone through to get to the season of joy. Can I just remind us that we sit in a room today that was paid for by the price of someone that wept through a night season. Some Somebody that worked through a long, come on, a long prayer shift so that we could experience what we experience now. I'm talking to a generation that we live in a kingdom that's been paid for. We came into it privileged. The high cost of prayer and praise in the middle of a problem paved the way into the kingdom that we sit in today. And if anybody should be thankful, it should be Absalom. It should be us. Absalom knows the scripture is already determined. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's life for life. He's already executed his brother. And now, at the intervention of Joab... And the king that sits on his throne, he's privileged to come back into the kingdom. He's entitled. He's only there by the mercy and the grace of his father. And you'd think that if anybody was thankful for what he possessed, it would be Absalom. But the Bible tells us that's not the way it is at all. 2 Samuel 15, it says that early every morning, he would take up his post beside the road at the city gate. And when anyone showed up with a case to bring to the king for a decision, Absalom would call him over and say, hey, hey, come here, where, where are you from? What's that, you're from Holtville? Come on, you're, you're from St. John? Whoa. You're from, you're from Woodstock? Wow. 
Come on, welcome to the kingdom. You're, you're going to come on over. Tell me, about, tell me about what you're coming to see the king about. Talk to me about it. I'm, I'm the prince. I, 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 Dad, tell me what you're going to talk to Dad about. And the Bible tells us that every day, Absalom with his long, beautiful, flowing locks. I'm not going to put it on. Would be at the gate, and he'd be inviting them. Come on, just come on over here and talk with me, and and come on, discuss with me. And he he said, you know, if I was the king, here here's what I do. I'm not the king, but if I was the king, let me tell you what I do. Huh? Oh, come me. Well, look at that. look at that Cole. That Cole's such a beautiful baby boy. Come here, bring Cole. No, not really. Come on. Oh, he. I mean, he was liking everybody's pictures on Facebook. He was communicating with everybody. He had tons of followers. His popularity was to the, come on, to the peak of everybody's popularity list. He was there. He had everybody gathered together, and he'd be right there in the gate. He'd be meeting everybody. Oh, come on in. Tell me about what you're talking about. And, and Absalom would say, look, you've got a strong case, but ah, the king's not going to listen to you. Why doesn't somebody make me a judge for this country? Anybody with a case could bring it to me, and I'd settle things fair and square. And you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that in the gate, Absalom stole the heart of the people. Absalom. Absalom took the heart of the people and he wrapped it. And before long, people weren't talking about David has killed his uh, ten thousands. They weren't talking about Saul only killed him thousands, but they were saying, you know, you know, I, I went to bring my need before the king and he wouldn't even take time to meet with me. He wouldn't talk to me, but I did have a chance to, to meet with the prince and, and, and Prince Absalom. You know what he said? He, he said he thought that he'd rule in my favor. Oh. <laughs> Absalom just stole the heart of the people. But it happened in the gate. It was there in the gate. The Bible tells us he, he got to the point where, you know, he wasn't just satisfied to walk to the gate in the morning. Absalom's pride got a little vaulted up. And after a while, he began to take dad's chariot. Oh, I got it. As a matter of fact, the chariot wasn't enough. He... I need the king's horses and all the king's men. I need 50 men to join with me. I'm heading to the gate. Is I, can I get just 50 runners to run before me? Because I just, I'm going to come in pomp and I'm, I'm going to come in ceremony. And, and Absalom made his way to the gate every day. And the Bible tells us that he stole the heart of the people in the gate. One of the greatest privileges, you know, if, if anybody should have been there in the gate to direct the heart of the kingdom to the king, it should have been Absalom. It should have been Absalom that was saying, you know what, I, here's what I, I don't know, I don't know about your situation, and I don't know about your need, but here's what I do know. My dad was more than fair with me. My dad was merciful with me. And so if you'll just bring it to the king and let the king deal with it, I'm here to bring union in the kingdom. I'm here to unite the kingdom. I'm here to push the purpose of the king forward. That's what Absalom should have been saying. But Absalom divided the heart of the kingdom right there at the gate. He should have walked his way to the gateway. He should have crawled the last few steps in humility over what he had done. But instead, he allows his pride to push him to the forefront. 
He rises on the wave of his own popularity. And he steals the heart of the people in the gate. Can I talk to our young people for a moment? The danger in our generation is that we inherit incredible opportunity. We inherit incredible facility. We inherit incredible history. But it's easy to forget how we got here. It's easy to forget that this was paid for by donated dollars of wonderful people who sacrificed, who went without. And I'm not just talking about the physical edifice that we sit in today. I'm talking about the history that this church has, the influence that it has, the reputation that it has. And if we're not careful, we can be in danger of promoting ourselves and eventually dividing the kingdom. There's a danger that we have the opportunity. There's an opportunity in it to compare ourselves among ourselves in a moment's time. We can leave service on Sunday morning and watch bigger, better productions. I'm not going to say better preachers because I don't believe that. Bigger and better productions. And we can begin to wish that we had what somebody else has got. When God has planted us here in this house of God for a reason and a purpose. Not so we can compare ourselves to somebody else. But so that we can be who God has called us to be right here, right now. We have the privilege of being able to see what others have. And we become ungrateful for what God has given to us. That's the sin of comparing ourselves among ourselves. We'll get there in a minute. Just hang with me. You see, Absalom isn't just happy with discrediting the kingdom. He has an intention to divide it. So whenever somebody would treat him with special honor, he'd just kind of shrug it off and say, you know what, we're, we're in this together. He'd make that individual feel important. It's all right there in your Bible. The Bible says that Absalom did this to everyone who came to do business with the king, and he stole the hearts of everyone in Israel. The next three chapters in Second Samuel are absolute chaos and anarchy. David flees his own kingdom and his son moves in. His own house sits on his father's throne. And I know I've been directing some of my attention to our younger generation tonight, but that's not where I want to end. I'd like to direct it to the rest of us for a moment before we get our golden pointer out. slap our youth on the wrist, I have another question. Where was David? Where was David when Absalom rode every morning with his chariot, his horses, to the gate of the kingdom? Where was David when Absalom was permitted to steal the heart of the people? Where was David? David had a duty to be in the gate. 
The reason why we celebrate today, where we celebrate uh, 311 people in services and with officiants, where we celebrate some 287, was it 287? Oh, don't, don't worry about it. We're not that hard up for the fact. Over 280, we'll go there. 280 people in multiple ser- unique attendance. The reason we celebrate that is because right now we feel like there's a pushback against people gathering together in the house of God. And so, yes, we're going to celebrate it because this is the place where God has designed to meet with us. And we're celebrating that because God has a divine intention and God has a divine plan. God has a purpose attached to what's going on here in the room, in these rooms today. And we don't want to miss what God is going to do. And if the enemy can move in, and steal people away from meeting in the gate, the gateway of heaven, then he's going to do it. So we're celebrating it because we aren't invisible today. We've shown up in the house of God. If I were to quickly scan through the story, and Ryan, you can come back to the music. The Bible tells us that it culminates in a battle between father and son. Without a doubt, the battle was turned because of an activity, one single activity of David in 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4. It said in the middle of this revolt and this war that's occurring between father and son. It says that the king, he, he wanted to go into battle. That's the heart of David. He probably wanted to see what was happening. He may want to have wanted to overt the circumstances that, that did happen with Absalom. He maybe wanted to, to try and lean in and make sure that his son wasn't killed or destroyed, but, but Joab says, no, we, we, we don't want you in the battle. You just, need, you just need to stand in the gate. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 18 and verse 4, it said, and the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And something began to happen when David committed to standing in the gate. Can I tell you today that something is going to happen when we commit to standing in the gate? Something happens when we determine there isn't anything that's going to keep us from gathering together with people of like precious faith. There's a reason why we gather, oh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, come before his courts with joyful praise. I'm talking about when someone makes their mind up, I'm going through the gate. The Bible says that the king stood by the gate side and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And that activity changes the heart of the people. They see the king in his rightful place. There's a reason why it was called the King's Gate. Even I'm smart enough to get that one. I don't need to study the Greek. I don't need to get, have to get into the Hebrew, sorry. It's the King's Gate. It's where the king is supposed to be. The battle ensues. Second Samuel 18 and 9, it's... A sad story, Absalom met the servants of David and said he rode on a mule. The mule went under a thick bough of an oak tree and his head caught hold of the oak and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. He was hanging there on that tree by those wonderful golden locks of hair. It was Absalom's pride that took him down. And a certain man saw it, told Joab and said, I saw Absalom, he's hanging from an oak tree over there. And his pride cost him... his life and and in the end I, I can't imagine the conflicting David because he's forced to choose the kingdom over his son he has a season of mourning a season of weeping the Bible tells us that the king was so much moved 
This is battle brilliant David. This is genius David, special ops David. This is David, the, the warrior, David, the fighter. The king was so much moved that he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom, that would God I had died for thee, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He'd asked him to deal gently, but that wasn't the way it ended. And Absalom's life is taken. It was what had happened in the gate that made the difference. It's what had happened in the gate that had impacted and influenced the kingdom. I, I, I'm just reminding us today that there's incredible power and incredible opportunity and incredible tragedy that happens in the gate. So when we slip back to Jacob and remember that he said, this is the house of God, this is Bethel, and it is the gateway of heaven. I, I just came to remind us today that we have the same level of responsibility that David had for his kingdom in this gate. This room, our city, needs a church that will sit in the gate. Our world needs a church that will sit in the gate. We don't need to be anywhere else. It sounds like I'm chiding. I'm not. Well, maybe I am. Somewhere in the middle. I'm chiding someone that may be missing the opportunity that God has for you to be in the house of God when you could be and you choose not to be. We're talking about the responsibility we have to be in the gate because if we're not in the gate, somebody will be. The place of influence, the place of authority is for the church to land there and do the job that God has called us to do. It's an incredible opportunity that we have. We can literally impact the world from this gateway of heaven. I wonder if you'd stand together with me, but please let me keep your attention for just one more moment. 2 Samuel 19 and verse 8. It was David that after his season of mourning and his difficult time over losing his own son, Joab had to meet with him. He said, David, you're, you're missing it. You're, you're more concerned about the one that you lost than the kingdom that's before you. you. You're more upset about losing Absalom, who was actively working against you, than you are for the kingdom that's here for you. And David has to rise out of those ashes. And mourning's difficult, isn't it? Sorrow, the weeping through that night season, it's difficult. But in that season, if you can get up and get to the gate, God is going to use you in the gate, in that time, in that moment. In 2 Samuel 19 and verse 8 says, Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told unto all the people, saying, Behold, the king doth sit in the gate. And listen to what happened. And all the people came before the king, for Israel had fled every man to his tent. But now that the king has taken up his rightful place, his rightful position, his rightful authority, something begins to happen in the kingdom. The people begin to gather together. The people come together, and Israel is moved simply by one activity of David getting back in the gate. Let me tell you what could happen 
in our city if the church just determined, I'm getting back in the gate. I'm doing my part to bring authority to the gate. I'm going to worship in the gate. I'm going to reach from the gate. I'm going to encourage from the gate. Get in the gate today. The impact on Israel was unparalleled. It was unlike anything they had seen. The people just gathered together in the king. When David, he could have told himself that he was alone, that he no longer had the heart of the people. The only thing that he had to do was get back in the gate. Can I, can I just remind you, God wants a church in the gate. There's something about, come on, there's something about it. When, when we gather together with people of like precious faith and, and we get in the gate, something powerful happened in this room today. Anointing. Come on, anointing was preached from this pulpit this morning. Pastor Matt talked to us today. He encouraged us. He strengthened the heart of the people. Why? Because we just determined. I, I know we've got rules and we've got restrictions and many of them for good reason. But let me tell you what happens. A church that says, you know what? Give us 50. We'll take 50. We're going to get in the gate. Give us 10. We'll take 10. We'll get in the gate with 10. We'll, we'll get in the gate in every house if we've got to. But we're going to get in the gate and we're going to impact this world for the cause of Christ. We're going to change the heart of the kingdom why devil give it your best shot but you've got a church willing to get in the gate today so i leave this podium with one question the title of the message what will you do with the gate tonight what will you do with the gate it's here like jacob he didn't realize it all Surely God was in this place and I didn't realize it. This is the gateway of heaven and I didn't understand it. But now that we've had the revelation and now that we've got the understanding, is there anyone that will agree with me and just say, ah, we're not turning back now. Our minds made up. Our hearts cemented. We're going forward. We are going to be in the gate. Powerful things happen in the gate. Come on, four leprous men sat at the entrance of the gate and turned this city around. Mordecai sat in the gate and foiled the plot of the enemy. Powerful things happen if the church will just get in the gate. Could you lift your hands together with me? Singers, you can gather together. I like to go back to the song we were singing just before I came to preach. Ryan, if you just get ready to cue that up, we're going to get ready to sing. Come on, I, I need someone. We're in the gate right now. This is the house of God. This is the glory of God resting among your people. What are we going to do in the gate? Any, any worshipers in the gate tonight? Any determined hearts? Any determined lives? I, I, I wish you could see the hand raised people that are with us online. We can't hear because we're muted by our masks, but, but we just got our mind made up. There's a heart full of people. Come on, there's a, a room full of people with a heart to get in the gate today. God's got a purpose and God's got a plan. So I'm calling you, young people, come back to the gate. I'm calling you, get in the gate and make a commitment. Get in the gate and determine your life is going to be different for the cause of Christ. I'm time. Come on, it's time to get in the gate today. Get in the gate. Come on, join with me for a moment. 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving come before his courts with joyful praise i wonder if someone would just be thankful with me and bless the name of the lord i i wonder if someone would just agree with me god's been good to me even when i didn't deserve it god was merciful to me when i didn't deserve it if you only knew the wrong that i had done it's a privilege for me to stand in the gate tonight it's an honor for me to stand in the gate tonight i don't deserve it ah we're a little bit cleaned up right now we look a whole lot better than we did just a decade ago or 10 years or 50 years ago or, or 20 years ago we're, we're a pretty good looking group of people right now but if you had seen me before I got in the gate it's only his mercy that allowed me the privilege to stand in the gate tonight okay come on we're getting ready to sing we need the drummers to start drumming we need singers to get ready to start singing because this is going to be a transformation moment. This is going to be a minute where everything begins to transition. We're about, come on, we're about to see a ladder descend and angels are going to start ministering from one, come on, from one to another, individual to individual. There's needs that are going to rise, but there's answers that's going to come down because this is more than just a room. This is a house of God and this is a gateway of heaven. This is the gate. What are you going to do in the gate tonight? That's my question. Are you going to worship in the gate? You're going to praise in the gate? Come on, we're just we're just we're just getting ready to launch for a minute. Wherever you are right now in your home, it's a gateway of heaven. It's a gateway of opportunity. It's a gateway of authority. You don't have to put up with what the enemy's bringing your way. You've got the right, come on, you've got the right to stand up and say this is the gateway of heaven. This home has been separated for God's glory. This home has been sanctified. This home has been separated for God's purpose. This home has been anointed. This home has been declared God's dwelling house. Get in the gate, somebody. Come on, Gen X, Gen Y. Millennials, get in the gate tonight. Oh. 